uh, sermon uh, comes from Genesis chapter 18, starting with verse 1 through 15. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Marmara while he was sitting at the entrance to the, his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may, wash, you may all wash your feet and rest under the tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed, and then go on your way now that you've come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham quick, uh, hurried to the tent of Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near, under, near them under a tree. Where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, am I after, sorry, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. morning, uh, something that I occasionally like to do. I haven't done it here at Smoky Row yet, where we'll read a passage like this and then ask five questions and kind of let everyone together uh, share their insights and input. But as I was reflecting on the text uh, this week, I had so much that I wanted to say myself. So I decided I, I'd keep just doing the normal thing uh, here this morning. Uh, quick story, real quick. Uh, there was a story that I read a while back. It circled around on a few different media outlets. Uh, about some executives at the Houston airport who had uh, creatively solved some complaints that they were receiving. Maybe you've read the story, maybe you haven't. Uh, people had kept complaining about the time that it took waiting a baggage claim for their bags to, to come through. And so all the executives at the airport, they had uh, done some studies and done whatever they could to try to reduce the, the time um, so that they actually got it down to like well below the industry standard. It was only an eight minute wait to get from the plane uh, all the bags to the baggage claim there. That was, uh, uh, it was really quite astounding, the improvement that they made. But they still got complaints. After reviewing it more and looking at their layout, they came up with an alternative plan. They just moved the gates around so that people got off and had to walk farther to baggage claim. <laughs> so it was still an eight-minute wait, but they had a six-minute walk from their gate to get to baggage claim and only two minutes to stand around and wait. And all of a sudden the complaints 
went away. No one complained anymore. Turns out uh, there's something significant about unoccupied wait time, right? When we're just standing around waiting for things that feels worse than when we're actively moving through some things. Uh, well, we are continuing on this week in our series in Genesis, a history of our beginnings, tracking along with some major figures in the book. Um, and I hope you're finding this as meaningful as I am, just looking at these stories of real people with real faith and failures and their encounters with our real God and, and what that, how that points us forward to Jesus as well. And today we're talking about Sarah. She was the wife of Abraham, uh, first Abram and Sarai, and then they have their names changed, actually the chapter right before this one. Uh, Abraham was called by God to leave his hometown for a new land and promised that he would be the father of uh, a great nation that would bless all other nations. Only one problem, Sarah couldn't have kids. She was barren for the majority of her life. And in her years and years of unoccupied waiting time, she would have been faced with all sorts of questions. Had her husband been wrong about this whole thing? Did he hear incorrectly? Was he crazy? Could this God be trusted? Was there something wrong with her? The doubt in this waiting was significant enough. Oh, sorry, I missed my picture of the Her doubt was significant enough that uh, it led her to suggest to Abraham that he sleep with their slave Hagar in order to try to produce a child. And that only made things worse. We talked about that last week. Hagar did have a son, Ishmael, but it only stoked contempt and confusion. Sarah deals harshly with Hagar, and Hagar runs away, but then Hagar encounters God in the wilderness and does return. This is perhaps significant as well. At the end of chapter 16, it says Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. And I had never noticed this really or, or, or logged it until this week, that right when it starts the next chapter, first verse, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. And this is the time in which God reminds him of the covenant and affirms for him in that chapter that it is Sarah who will bear the child of the promise. But that means that for 13 years, between 86 and 99, there had been no other conversation between God and Abraham, at least not that we have received. Abraham and Sarah may well have just thought our plan worked. Ishmael is the son from whom all of the promises are going to be fulfilled. They think, okay, well, let's just operate this way. Now Ishmael is 13, Abraham is 99, Sarah is 89, and all of a sudden they hear, wait, Sarah is actually going to be the one to, uh, to bear the child of the promise here? Imagine Abraham's surprise when God reiterates that promise. So surprising that he falls on his face in laughter. It says in, in uh, verse seven, chapter 17, verse 17, that he literally rolls on the floor laughing, right? That he is very surprised by this. But God insists that it will happen within the next year. And it's very soon after that the, the events of chapter 18 occur that we read this morning. Presumably, Abraham recognized the presence of God in these three visitors who show up. He had heard from God several times before when receiving his promises. But Sarah, however, does not seem to recognize exactly what's happening. She's not yet heard directly from God, at least we haven't seen it in the text. 
only trusted the word of her husband and perhaps become slowly embittered by the message that she has not yet seen come to fruition. There's one thing that Sarah does know. It's that having a child is a ridiculous thought for her at this point. She has been barren all her life, and by now she's well past the years of being able to bear children. But her laughter maybe isn't even quite exactly about that. The text actually says that she laughs to herself. In the Hebrew here, it could also be translated something like she laughed inwardly. It says the same thing about Abraham, that he, he laughed to himself. It's not entirely clear what that means, but I imagine maybe something more of like a bitter laugh so you don't cry sort of situation, right? He is hearing this, this promise that still sounds so ridiculous. Are you, you want me to trust this again, God? You really want me to believe this? I wonder if you've ever been in that situation before, ever been disillusioned about God's promises or a truth maybe that he's spoken over you that you thought he had said in the situation, but it seems like it's just not coming to happen. Maybe it's, maybe it's kept you from believing altogether. Maybe not. Maybe you've had a wound or an ache that you've closed off in your heart because it was just too painful to leave that door open in hope. That's where Sarah is here right now. And I think we learned some things from Sarah's life that can grant us hope and draw us into worship. So I just want to offer a few observations from this text. The first is that God condescends to and subverts our cultural expectations. That was interesting reflecting on this. He obviously shows up in, in ways that Abraham can notice that this is God. He, it's, it's symbols uh, and in uh, appearances that in some way, shape, or form, it doesn't completely b- blow Abraham's mind. He's able to, like, uh, to understand what's happening, but he is also able to recognize that this is God. Also interesting, you see some of the cultural expectations here of uh, the, the visitors and God speaking to Abraham don't speak directly to Sarah first. For all this time, it's, they still are talking specifically to Abraham. That would have been pretty normal in the patriarchal, patriarchal culture. But it is interesting that in this whole interaction, that God goes out of his way to articulate and talk about this laughter of Sarah's from the other room that was presumably pretty quiet and, and call it out so that he is acknowledging her and speaking to her. So I take from all of this, we can expect that God will graciously meet us where we are. But we shouldn't necessarily expect that God's will and actions will always fit neatly into our own boxes. That's all I have to say about that one. Let's move on to the next observation. We often do a very poor job at waiting. Uh, Have you ever heard anyone say, don't pray for patience? Why do people... To encourage you not to pray for patience. Usually they uh, say, well, God's going to give you some sort of trial that's going to make you build patience in your life, and you don't want to do that. I hate that idea. I hate that thought that we don't actually want God to do something in our life, even if it, if it is to uh, produce patience in us. Um, so I say, no, pray for patience, because we live in a broken world. Trying things are going to happen one way or another, no matter what, Right? But God can and will empower us through it. We should pray for the Holy Spirit to enter into our lives and help produce patience in us. 
Now, Sarah, along with Abraham, made kind of a mess of things by trying to resolve their issues on their own. But God was faithful anyway. God continued to work with them, even in the times in which they lost patience. We've talked about that a little bit this morning in our um, adult Bible study class um, about Hebrews talking about Abraham being uh, patient in endurance. Like, well, he was, was he that patient all the time? But they did at least wait until he was 86 to try out their plan, right? So he, he waited quite a long time. Um, and God is faithful even in the midst of those issues. If I had to give any sort of uh, advice to us in our seasons of waiting, the best advice I can give is to faithfully attend to what God has given you in the moment. That's what I've learned in, in, my, uh, in my times. Whether it's you're in a season of singleness and you long to be married someday, um, you can still be faithful to the gifts that God has given you in the moment and work more on trying to become the kind of person that you want to be later on. If you're waiting for a child, you, you want to be a parent someday, you can still continue to say, Lord, would you make me the kind of person you want me to be, to be uh, a parent to those around me, whether they are my uh, physical progeny or not, you know, that you can be the kind of person who is a mother or a father to the people around you. Maybe you're waiting for employment in some way. It, whatever kind of situation that you are waiting on something from God. I have discovered in my own life that God seems to care a whole lot more about the kind of people we are becoming than the specific things that we will do in any That is trying to form in us his character. Last observation. God doesn't seem to need to gloss over our failures in order to make our story worth sharing. We have this tendency in our own country's history even of, of wanting to minimize the very real faults and failures of some of our founding fathers, of some of the heroic figures in history. Um, I think this also mirrors our own tendency to want to gloss over the, the parts of our own lives that we would rather people not see, right? Or rather people not remember. But the Bible doesn't seem to share that tendency. We have all sorts of accounts that really seem to hold little back when it comes to the failures of central figures of our faith. I have to think, if this is the cleaned up version of what we're reading, what, what really happened then, right? Scared of what that would be. And yet, God still elevates these figures as models of faith both in their faith and in their failure. In Hebrews 7, it says that, And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children, because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. She didn't seem like she was considering him faithful in her laughter, Right? But she laughed and then obviously still believes enough to walk forward in faith. With those simple words, yes, you did laugh, God showed that he knows her heart and understands her pain, but invites her to believe anyway. It's the first time that Sarah got any direct interaction with God to confirm this promise that her husband had been talking about for years. And as Sarah is confronted with a God who sees her pain and refuses to allow her to wallow in it silently, enters into this pain and invites her to keep persevering. We get no further conversation, but evidently she trusts God enough that she goes to her husband and they do what married couples do and they have a kid. 
a baby comes along. We jump to Genesis chapter 21. It says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time that God had promised him. Abraham gave the name in the name Isaac to the son that Sarah bore him. I love that jumping into verse six. Sarah says, God has brought me laughter. Everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. She added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne a son this old. I love this name. The name Isaac means he laughs. And Sarah is no longer ashamed to admit her laughter in this. It becomes a fun story that she can share with friends and family. In the end, Sarah's bitter laughter is turned into gleeful gratitude. Her shame, anxiety, ache, and sadness are transformed to honor and hope and glory and joy. It reminds me of that verse in Psalm 30, verse 11. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. And God doesn't do it simply by taking away the pain. Sarah's joy uh, comes because her pain has been transformed. The very thing that once brought ache, once brought bitter laughter, now gives her a sense of wonder, gratitude. There can be something redemptive about our wounds in the hands of Christ, just as the wounds in his own hands are redemptive for us. One of the most haunting and beautiful pictures for me in the Gospels is when Jesus appears to the disciples after the resurrection. And in order to prove that he really is there, remember what he shows them? The wounds in his hands, in his side. In his glorified, resurrected body, his wounds have not gone away. They're still there. And now they are a mark of glory. Whatever pain or hardship we're facing now, the incredible good news is that Jesus can not only conquer it, but it can be transformed to joy. Through the cross and the resurrection, Christ takes all the things that, of this sinful and broken world that it tries to hurl at us and, and put into the world in order to bring harm, in order to bring uh, more and more brokenness. And in Jesus' hands, he redeems it and makes it something beautiful. So I wonder this morning if we might reflect on a few questions in light of this text. What are you waiting on from the Lord? Is there something that you long to hear from God? Is there a prayer that you're afraid to bring uh, in fear that it won't be answered? Is there any part of your heart that you are withholding from God because it would hurt too much to open that up before him? Is there a dream that you need to allow God to speak into, to enliven something in you that hasn't even been discovered yet? Maybe even for us as a congregation, is there anything that we can reflect on of dreams and disappointments that we have experienced together, the places that we're still waiting for God to come through? As we offer our praises to God during this closing reading and song, let's open our hearts to him and let God speak to us, whatever he might have. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the ways in which you have over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, always, continually showed your goodness 
your people. That you have proven faithful even when we are not. That you have proven to be a promise keeper. Even when to us, sometimes we wish you would move a little faster, you move exactly the timing is appropriate. Lord, we do pray for patience. We pray that you would give us hearts that are long-suffering. Give us hope that endures. That hopes for that which we cannot see any evidence of. And yet you have promised to us nonetheless. We pray that you would enter into the wounds and the aches of our heart that continually speak to us messages that say that we ought to believe for that, that we ought not give this to you, but instead keep it locked away. Well, we pray for laughter, pray for joy, not happiness, but the kind of joy that goes to the darkest places. We think it shouldn't even be able to. But ultimately, we pray for you, your presence in our lives in every moment, every day, that we might come to look more 